Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hello, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I appreciate you taking some time away from your vacation to record our show. It's very nice. Yeah, of course. I'm in uh, good old Las Vegas recording from RollerCon, Roller Derby Central. So it'll be a, if you hear uh, roller skates in the background or people like hitting each other, that's what's going on. I mean, it's Vegas. You could hear literally everything <laughs> in the background. That is true. I can just kind of nod and be like, yeah, it's Vegas. Yeah, that's, that's the it's thing that's fine. happening. Uh, well, yep. we, should, we should jump right in then. And, let's, uh, let's jump right in. Let's talk. So Max is curious about Wi-Fi calling, what it is, how it works, and whether they should use it or not. Oh, man, that is a great question. So Wi-Fi calling is based on your – basically, it allows your carrier to use the Wi-Fi networks um, to funnel calls through. So rather than use the cellular network, you use something akin to FaceTime where you're actually using the data to make, uh, in some cases, a much better connection. Mm-hmm. Um, not all carriers have supported it for a long time. Um, it's kind of been half and half. Um, AT&T, I think, just got it last year. Um, T-Mobile, was T-Mobile the first? I forget. Uh, probably. Um, it sounds like a T-Mobile thing to be first at. <laughs> it really does, right? It's like, oh, yes, we're totally going to be first on this. Um, but it's a, it is a great Feature. Most carriers offer it for free. I know there was talk in the very beginning of carriers making a surcharge, but Apple, after Apple came out with FaceTime um, and Google, of course, has Google Voice, uh, the carriers kind of realized that, like, hey, maybe we should, uh, you know, make sure that people are still using our services to to make phone calls before they decide that they don't need phones altogether. Right. Yeah, I, I'm on AT and T, and I use I have Wi-Fi calling turned on on my iPhone because AT and T is not real great in our neighborhood. It's really no one's great in my neighborhood. AT and T is the best. I've switched a couple times over the last handful of years, uh, but it's nice. It means that if you know I've only got you know one or two bars of even 4G, those phone calls just get routed over my Wi-Fi, and I didn't have to do anything special with my Wi-Fi. I didn't have to do any like routing rules or anything. It just you turn it on, <laughs> and the iPhone kind of takes care of everything. So it's really not as complicated to set up as you might think. It's just really a setting in iOS. You turn it on. Uh, I have I have had issues before if you if you have like if you're in like low Wi-Fi environments you know the iPhone kind of holds on to Wi-Fi too long sometimes and you can always run into issues but all in all if you're like me and your cell service isn't great in your house it's gonna be a real lifesaver. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, there's the best example I can give of for Wi-Fi calling is my parents who live in California. They live in an old house that. Uh, is pretty much a Faraday cage. It was built in the 1920s um, in kind of the LA style, which means there's chicken wire in every in all mm-hmm. of the walls. Oh yeah. Um, so basically, both cell service and like long term, we have something like three or four hardwired Wi-Fi repeaters in our house because otherwise it just doesn't work. Uh, so Wi-Fi calling is really nice because it, even though we have the, the Wi-Fi repeaters. It's a little bit harder to buy uh, cell repeaters. Like you have the AT&T has like a little base station. You can't put one of those in every room because they're kind of pricey. So Wi-Fi calling allowed me and my family to rewrote over uh, the Wi-Fi networks, which was much nicer. And it's 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 good to be able to kind of take those phone calls. So, yeah, um, there's really no I'm trying to think of like any specific downsides to, to having a Wi-Fi calling on. Can you do you have besides, as you mentioned, Stephen, the fact that, you know, um, the Wi-Fi is still not great about switching automatically from Wi-Fi to cellular. 
Um, but is there any anything else you can think of that might be a potential downside to Wi-Fi calling? Uh, I think the big one people often talk about is if you dial nine one one or your you know your emergency call in, in your area, it can't provide an address. But iOS mm-hmm. and carriers have gotten together to fix this. So like if I'm on AT and T when I turned it on, it said, "Hey, this is the address we have for your account. This is what we will provide emergency services if you call nine one one." So if I were say your house and I had to call 911, that could be an issue. But other than that, which is a pretty, I mean, it's an important case, but I think it's a pretty, a pretty, you know, small number of incidents that could, that, that could happen. Uh, then I think it's totally fine. And, uh, you know, I've, I haven't had issues with it. Um, but you do have to kind of make sure that if you move or something, that emergency call address is correct. And you really only need that, of course, if you call 911 and you can't tell them where, where you are, which of course is horrific to think about. But, uh, for but me, it happens sometimes. Yeah, oh, it totally does. But for me, I'm not guaranteed a call is going to connect in my house, so I'm willing to make that trade off. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a very good point. Um, and it is very good on that card of the, both the carriers and Apple that they've gone out of their way to make sure. And when you set up Wi-Fi calling, we do have a complete tutorial on iMore on how to do this. Uh, if you're curious about setting it up for your carrier, uh, but when you set it up, as Stephen mentioned, they ask for. Um, your current home address. And then I think there's a option for kind of an emergency contact too. So if you can't physically say where you are, you, they can contact that emergency contact and hopefully get a better answer. Fingers crossed, or at least let them know what's going on with you. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. So Max, turn it on. I, I, it's great. I haven't had any problems with it. If you want to submit questions to the show, you can use the hashtag AskQuery on Twitter and we will see it. Uh, we take questions on all sorts of tech topics. Uh, and uh, you can be like Max and have your question answered. All right. So let's uh, dive right into our second question of episode five. Alex, Stephen, is curious if we use any consumer home security products like IP cameras. Uh, this was a very timely question because I, I do. So I've had a Nest Cam for, for years, it feels like. Uh, also have a a canary out here in the office and they're very similar products. The canary can do a couple extra things like tell me the temperature and the air quality. And the canary also has, uh, and the reason I use it in my office, it has a built-in uh, loudspeaker. So I can, if someone breaks into my office, I can hit a button and it makes a super loud alarm sound as if they were breaking into a house that had an alarm. But other than that, they're, they're very similar. They both send push notifications for activity they both have all of these things really work kind of the same way where you pay for the device and then you can pay for a subscription for uh, history. So on my Nest, I think I pay for like 10 days. So I can roll the clock back on their website 10 days and see uh, any activity uh, that that is, uh, you know, been captured. I'm also I just actually last night uh, opened up uh, Logitech has has updated their circle camera. So it's an IP camera. It's super small. Uh, it's actually pretty adorable. And what's nice about it is they have several mounting options. So the one I'm, I'm kind of testing right now is you put it in this case and it sticks to the inside of a window so you can see outside through the glass. Uh, and it's 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 really flexible. They have one that's for like outdoor use. It's battery powered. It run like months on a battery. Uh, so a little more kind of uh, build your own solution for what you need uh, from Logitech. Uh, I'm not really sure what to think about it yet because I, I, I just set it up like literally 12 hours ago. Um, but, uh, I kind of have, I'm kind of spread out across the brands, but, uh, I like the, 
the you know have a security system, but I like the the kind of peace of mind that I can look and actually see what's going on and be notified if someone you know approaches the house or, or comes in the house. What about you? Yeah. Um, I have a fleet of Nest cameras. That's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, we started with one. We started with just one in the living cat room, uh, which I like to call the pet cam, because we have uh, we have two dogs uh, who are very needy <laughs> and very much don't like to be left alone. And we also I have a I have a human who really doesn't like to leave the dogs alone and likes to make sure that they're okay. So when we went on a trip for Christmas a few years back, he uh, he installed that camera as a way to be like, my babies are okay. Um, and uh, the Nest Cam, as you mentioned, Stephen, you can kind of look in the past up to 10 days if you pay for the subscription. Um, but in addition to that, you can talk through the Nest Cam, oh, yeah. uh, which led to a very funny incident where when we first got it, we were like, oh, man, we can talk to the dogs. And my, of course, brilliant thought was, Oh, I'm just going to be, you know, I'm just going to tell them to get off the couch when I see them, you know, sitting on the couch, because right. that's, that was a thing for a while. We were like, we don't want the dogs to sit on the couch. Um, and then I tried it a couple days into our, uh, our vacation and talking to the disembodied, you know, the disembodied voice coming out from the wall and both of our dogs were so terrified. They oh, had no. no idea. Like they just, they froze and they looked around and like we would, we kept on talking to them and they continued looking around like, what is going on? Where, where the voice is coming from inside the house. Oh no. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so we, uh, we learned pretty quickly. We're like, okay, maybe, maybe we don't talk as a disembodied voice, uh, to the dogs, but it is a, it is a useful security feature. If you're out of the house, um, nest will send you movement alerts and you can trigger it. You, you can set it. So it's like only a certain area that gets triggered or how sensitive or how, uh, or how firm you want for, uh, for both movement and noise alerts. So let's say, you know, you get triggered while you're out of the house and it is a burglar or something. You can use that loudspeaker to essentially, do a scarier version of what you were you were talking about, Stephen. Maybe not just the blaring alert, but like you know, put on a vocoder, do the Back to the Future thing, being like, "This is Darth Vader. The police have been called." <laughs> God, God knows. Uh, yeah. So we have we have that one in the living room, and then we also we got a basement camera, which is cat cam, because no nothing happens in the basement besides our cat hanging out there. Uh, we have a uh, front door camera and a rear door camera. So it's really become kind of a full home security system. Um, I look at it kind of like I look at it on both ways, right? For when when we talk about, oh, well, are home security cameras actually worth it? I think it depends on what you're actually looking to get out of it. Because obviously the AI technology on like detecting movement and everything is not perfect, right? Like there are there are definitely some issues there um, where, you know, my, uh, sunlight will trigger a movement alert, right. Going, uh, in my living room occasionally. Um, and while it's gotten better, uh, it's still, you know, it's still not perfect. Uh, so if you're thinking about like, this is going to solve all of my security woes and, you know, I'll only see notifications when there's an actual burglar, you're probably going to see notifications for cats and things like that. Uh, I know that Nest, as well as some of the other companies, are working on better face detection and pet detection and things like that to kind of reduce those alerts. Uh, but it's still a little touchy. If you have notifications on, be prepared to get a lot of false positives uh, and maybe get a little bit of sort of crying wolf area. Uh, but uh, I will say from a peace of mind perspective, 
uh, it's really nice, not only when I'm away from the house to be able to like check in on the dogs, but also to check in just on the house and be like, okay, everything's, you know, everything's where it is. Um, but also like for, um, for, to have those cameras positioned in such a way that like, I can see the dogs and I like, it, it gives me like a sense of peace to be able to, to, to be able to like, you, you, there's, there's a concern when you leave your dogs at home or if you, you know, you're living in a high crime neighborhood, uh, you, you never know. Or if you're worried you left lights on or things like that. Um, and even I've used it when I've been home alone, uh, when I've been working in my office and, you know, um, it's just me and it's just the dogs and I hear like a loud noise or something, I can really quickly, instead of like panicking myself and freaking out because we kind of live in the country, uh, I can just take a look at the phone and look at it and be like, oh, it was a squirrel. A squirrel ran across the deck and like caused the rake to fall. Everything's fine. I'm not about to get murdered in the country. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> yeah. um, and, but Stephen, let's talk a little bit before we close this topic on the other side of that, which is like the security from looking at the home is one thing, but what about the security of, you know, can people go into, uh, like, can people hack into your video? Like, can people use this video for nefarious purposes? What does Nest do with this video? I think that's kind of important when we talk about like video being stored online in the cloud. Oh, it, it definitely is. You know, and, and there, there've been stories about like, Cheap, you know, cheap IP cameras, stuff you buy, kind of no-name stuff you buy on Amazon. I would stick clear of all that. I mean, we're talking about Nest and Logitech and Canary, you know, companies that do this and, you know, their stuff is all encrypted end-to-end. Uh, but it's always important to have a good, unique password. We talk about this, I feel like, every week. But most definitely on an account tied to a security camera, you want to make sure that that, that that password is really good and that it is unique. You don't share that with anything else. Um, and there's some simple things too, you know, if you have these apps set up on your phone, make sure your, your phone is locked, that, those sort of things. But if you buy a reputable camera from a, a well-known company, then I think, I think it's totally fine to trust them. You know, like I said, I would steer clear of sort of the, the no-name stuff. Uh, there's a ton of stuff on Amazon that's way cheaper than the things we've talked about. But uh, very often one of the things that that, that that pricing means is that their security may not be as good or their encryption may not be as strong. And that's something definitely to consider. Yeah. And I think we should also just really quickly touch on the fact that if you live with other people, for instance, uh, it's good to a get their permission. If you're going to set up a home security camera, <laughs> yes. uh, if you live with roommates or something, uh, and also have a, you know, if you're living with uh, either a boyfriend or, or even a husband, like, and you should have uh, ground rules because it's very easy to be like, oh, I want to like, it can go very quickly from, oh, it's nice to see my dogs or it's nice to see my husband while I'm away to, it can be a little bit creepy to be mm. like, yes, I'm being watched, right? Especially yeah. because most of these cameras can turn off the the green alert light, which means that it's on and actively being watched. Uh, so, you know, that's that's something to consider when you're living with other people, really to make sure that you you have a good solid foundation of like, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Um, what is kosher for us and what is going to be really creepy? Yeah, that's, um, that's well said. So I think it's time for the speed run. Do, do, do. Let's go on a speed run, Stephen. Andrew is curious about how the Apple SIM works. So in a nutshell, the Apple SIM was created by Apple a few uh, a couple years back uh, with the introduction of the iPad Pro. 
Um, and it essentially allows the end user to be able to choose multiple uh, multiple carriers on a single phone. Uh, so, or on a single iPad rather. And this is important because of course the iPad is sold unlocked. It's not locked to a specific carrier. So, and you usually use month to month data plans on an iPad. So if you're, you know, if you want to use Sprint for a month, uh, but then you go to a, an area that doesn't have Sprint coverage, you might want to switch. And normally what that means is that you have to take the SIM out and you have to buy a new SIM and you have to like sign up for AT&T's, you know, month to month coverage and pop it back up. Uh, but the Apple SIM just allows you to switch carriers at will. There are only a couple carriers that support it in the U.S. It's Sprint, it's T-Mobile, um, and a couple of uh, international like pay-per-use carriers. Uh, but beyond that, uh, you are kind of good to go with those with those couple. Um, and then you can also, um, in the older iPads, you can pop out the Apple SIM and put in a different SIM if you want to use a network not covered by it. Uh, in the newer iPads, there's actually an embedded Apple SIM, so that just stays in the iPad whenever you're using it, as well as an external slot for a SIM card. So you could, in theory, have a T-Mobile plan on your embedded Apple SIM, but also pop in, say, an AT&T SIM card if you, or a Verizon SIM card if you want to use Verizon's uh, coverage. So it's cool. It's a, it's a really nice way for you to uh, be able to have access to multiple carriers. And it's a kind of sneaky way by Apple to, to undercut the whole, we're going to lock a device to a carrier because we only want you using our network. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, the flexibility is really nice. Question for you, Stephen. Carl and B. Webster are looking for external USB drives to store files. What are your suggestions? Uh, so generally, you got a couple things to look at. You want to look at the dollars per gigabyte ratio. Um, if you're shopping on Amazon or, or something online, you know, things will be on sale, but you can always kind of see uh, what you're getting storage-wise for uh, the money you're putting in. You want to make sure too that if you're, you know, if you have an, a new MacBook Pro, maybe you can get something with USB-C. Kind of make sure you know the connectivity is what you want. Uh, generally, though, I buy, and I don't really know how I got into the habit of buying Western Digital hard drives. I just have for a long time. Half the people listening to this like Seagate, half, half will like WD. It doesn't really matter. All hard drives will fail. Uh, get something with a nice warranty and the, the dollar per gigabyte uh, ratio that that makes the most sense. Uh, for SSDs, though, I really like the Samsung. Uh, they have a little T3 SSD. It's USB-C. It's really small, super fast. I picked one of those up for uh, editing and uh, and storage and stuff when I'm on the road doing shows, and it's great. So, um, so yeah, you really can't go wrong. Like, uh, I mean, if you buy a, a, a name brand and you get a good deal on it, uh, I don't think you got to be super picky. So uh, last question is actually from me. Uh, I was scrolling through Instagram Ooh. the other day and saw you had posted another uh, Derby video. And I figured since you're traveling for that, I was curious how you put those videos together. Yeah. So those Derby videos are actually edited entirely. They're shot, edited, and produced entirely on the iPhone, uh, which was originally started as kind of a, a way of convenience where I just wanted to do something really quickly and throw it up on Facebook. Um, but also because I wanted to test what iMovie really could do on the iPhone. Um, and it's kind of evolved. Like I figured out most of, I've been able to kind of push iMovie to its limits uh, in terms of like adding external uh, external audio and doing various cuts um, and uh, adding titles, uh, tricking iMovie so that it looks like I'm adding dual titles when in reality I'm just adding a lot of spaces. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of just, I'll shoot it on with the camera app and then I will bring clips into iMovie and photos into iMovie. 
Uh, and then for background audio, I'll use things like uh, YouTube's free audio library from their creator studio, which is accessible if you have a YouTube account. Um, and they have tons of royalty-free music, uh, most of which you can use either with or without credit. Um, so it's a it's a really nice way. I just uh, download those locally to my um, to my device on uh, using uh, the iCloud music library, uh, and then I just can import it at will. I've also started uh, using a new app, although I haven't officially cut any video together with it. Um, it's called Luma F uh, Luma Fusion, and they also have a partner app called Luma FX. Um, the guys at Nine to Five Mac turned me on to this uh, to this app, and it's so far, it's a, it's very impressive. It offers color correction tools and you know digital zooms and some really really cool FX work uh, that is kind of blows iMovie out of the water quite quite frankly on the iPhone and on the iPad. So I'm really looking forward to playing with that a little bit more. Hopefully in like six months, if we uh, if we come up to this question again, I'll be able to be like, yeah, I use uh, I use LumaFusion and it's fantastic. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm still kind of in the playing phases with that. I haven't made a full video yet, but it's, uh, it's fun. I really encourage people to, to try experimenting with iMovie on iOS. Cause I really think it does a lot more than people realize. Awesome. I, I kind of figured you were all iOS, but, uh, it's exciting to hear that those workflows, I think iMovie for, especially on the iPhone is something that I, I just often forget about and, and I just spend some more time with it. It seems really powerful. Well, I think that brings us to the end of episode five. Oh my gosh, five whole episodes in the can, Stephen. We're we're chugging along. That's right. If you can find uh, show notes this week at relay.fm slash query slash five. Like I said earlier, to submit questions, uh, you can tweet with the hashtag askquery and we'll see it. In the meantime, you can find Serenity on Twitter at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and you can find her writing at imore.com. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH, and I write at 512pixels.net. Until our next episode, Serenity, say goodbye. Goodbye, Stephen. Adios.